us this morning is retired Monmouth College professor, economics professor, Ken McMillan. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. How Good are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. So, except for the fact that we need rain pretty badly, the weather's been beautiful. Yes, it, it really has. I've been studying a lot about the El Nino. As you know, we're, we're kind of moving into that that part of the climate process, if you will, or, or um, cyclical nature of it, and just trying to see, you know, what what are we looking at here? When when will we get the rains? Because they're getting all the rain out west, and we need a little rain here too. Now you don't you don't ask an economist to predict when it's going to rain. <laughs> <laughs> My garden needs it. Yes, I've got eleven soaker hoses, and they're going to be worn out before the. Hot weather really hits us if, if we don't get some rain. Well, our assistant ag director, uh, Kaylee, did an interview with Trent Ford, the climatologist for the state. And uh, I believe he said in another week or so, two weeks, we're supposed to see a wetter outlook. So we're going to hope he's right. I hope so, too. Well, Ken, tell us, speaking of economics, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, where, where do things stand? We're halfway through the year. We've had a banking crisis. We've got a debt ceiling issue. You gave a nice presentation to the Monmouth Rotary Group, but a lot's happened since that banking crisis. Well, n- number one, what's in the headlines is the uh, need to increase the the country's debt limit. Now, we wouldn't need to increase the country's debt limit if we weren't spending in all kinds of ways, some pretty well justified and some probably not, uh, more than the government is taking in on on money. So um, the the debt crisis is is what's looming. That's the only thing that the press uh, nationally really wants to talk about. So related to that, number one, uh, there isn't any arbitrary date. Uh, Janet Yellen has pretty she said pretty much mid June or or late June, and now she's brought it back to the 1st of, of June. So there isn't any date out there that if we, if, if Congress doesn't get something resolved with the president before that, uh, the crisis is not going to occur. We don't know when they will really be unable to borrow more money to send out, out checks. I mean, it's coming. It's important. But I think it's not perhaps the uh, impending crisis that everybody talks about. Inflation is still the biggest problem. This is the time of year when I buy a lot of uh, annual plants. I cannot believe how much those individual plants have gone up. Inflation still is hitting everywhere. Now, when uh, people will say, well, it's it's 4% now. That's way down from the 9% that we experienced for a short time. It is. It still means prices are going up 4%, which is much higher than we've been used to for the last 25 or, or 30 years. And part of the problem is we've got a continuation of a lot of government programs that are putting uh, dollars in people's pockets, and people love to have more money in their pockets to spend, but we still haven't gotten over all the logistics problems, all the labor problems, all of the supply problems for producing things. So if we've got more money for people to buy things and not that much more stuff being produced, that continues inflation, and that's really still uh, the biggest problem 
that we face in the long run. And if that's going to be curtailed, there has to be some limitation on government-continued excessive spending. I remember in 2000, to buy a house, the interest rate was at 7%. And in the 80s, we even saw double digits, correct? Oh, oh yes. Um, In in the late 70s and 80s, we did. I remember I was uh, managing my my dad's farm operation. And I remember going into the bank uh, because we needed to, you know, the annual loan in order to pay for the seed and the fertilizer and so forth. And and I kind of complained about how high the interest rate was. And the banker pointed out that the interest rate they were charging was less than, than the rate that they had to pay when they were borrowing, uh, getting additional money from the from the Fed. So we've come come back a long, long way from that. But part of the problem was, um, for whatever reasons, the Fed kept interest rates so low, so long, uh, people learned that they didn't have to save because when you're earning a tenth of a percent at the, you know, on a savings account, there's not much, not much incentive to to go there. So we've had a lot of distortions in the economy, and I'm not sure we're doing a very good job of adjusting to that. It seems like the place that Americans are getting hit the hardest is at the grocery store. Absolutely. And in, in many cases, the cause is the continuing inflation. Uh, we know that egg prices went up, but part of that was the bird flu that was causing hens to have to be uh, destroyed. And if you don't have hens, you don't have eggs. And when the eggs are in short supply, and eggs are still one of the most nutritious things that a human being can consume, that pushed the price up. Now, they've, they've moderated, but they're still not back to where they were. Beef prices went up, and, and the administration in Washington blamed the packing, the packing uh, industry. And they totally ignored the fact that the drought in the West and the fires in the West and so forth caused an awful lot of, of the, the big cattle herds in the Mountain West and the West to have to cut back because there was, no, there was no grass, there was no feed, and so a lot of animals were slaughtered. You know, if you slaughter a cow, you're not going to get a calf. And if you don't get a calf, then 18 months later, you're not going to get any beef. And so that's part of the, you know, that's been part of the, the problem as well. But most of it is uh, a mom-and-pop grocery store or even the chains. You know, they're, they're not used to making a high volume. I mean, if they make two or three cents on an item, that's where their profit comes from. Mm-hmm. And when their costs go up and when they can't get supplies, um, it just makes the problem worse. I'm able to keep track of grocery stores and what the costs are by memory uh, because of freezing for food and uh, stuff the pantry. And so um, this will be my 23rd year doing halfway to freezing or doing freezing for food. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen this, you know, the, these prices go up in this last year, especially for the staples that we typically buy for the program. So it is interesting to see, I mean, granola bars, you know, at, at six ninety nine. 
and eight ninety nine when those used to be two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine, and then they just kept going up. So I've well, definitely and seen it. And you know, housing is also uh, a a problem. There nationwide, there's a so called shortage of housing. I know one of the major uh, construction home construction people in this town who cannot get help. That has become the biggest problem for increasing the supply of housing in, in this country. If you can't get workers to work with the, the contractor, you've got a, got a real problem. And part of that problem is we still have a continuation of many of the benefits. Now, some of those benefits are going to run out. And part of the big controversy related to the uh, debt crisis or the uh, raising the debt ceiling is that there are still uh, people that are balking against what's going to be the work requirements that are going to come in the future for, for people who are going to continue to get some government benefits. So all those things contribute to the housing shortage and even though the markets, because of the high interest rates, the markets changed. But for somebody who really wants a wants to find a home, it often is difficult because houses are not being built now. Sure. We we have a, you know, we're uh, fortunate in Monmouth, uh, the new housing development up on the north end of town. I see people moving in. Uh, that you know, that's going to make a difference. I don't know how it's structured and. And I think they're all rental, as far as I know. Uh, and so that's probably going to help locally. And also, I was reading about the robots and factories. So by 2030, we could see uh, actual robots in, in factory positions um, where there's a shortage of labor. So does that play a role in productivity for the economy? It, it may make the economy more productive, um, on the other hand, those jobs would be done by willing workers if they were if they were there. So it's going to continue to provide some distortions. Uh, when I taught economics, I would point out that really the the wage that people earn from an economist standpoint is related to the value of whatever they produce. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, I need, need so much wage for this and so much wage for that. If you're the person that's paying the wages, the person has to be productive enough to produce something of, of value for you. And to the, to the extent that we kind of get away from that, it just adds to the pressure for inflation. It means we're likely to get shortages of of, of uh whether it's housing or whether it's, uh, you know, once in a while you go to the grocery store and there is a bare spot because, because whatever you went in to buy was not there. Well, that probably means that there was a problem with logistics. There's a supply. There's, a, there's an ingredient that is in short yep. supply. I noticed that I like sesame bagels. For some reason, I'm hooked on sesame stuff. There are fewer and fewer and fewer sesame seeds on the bagels. That I, I think probably we import sesame from someplace in another country, and and it's just part of that supply chain thing that is a problem. 
I think you, we can blame COVID, we can blame politics, we can blame the weather, we can blame a lot of things for the distortions mm-hmm. that, that we're experiencing. But we've got to find, we've got to make sound decisions governmentally to get back to normalcy. Yeah, let's hope for that and hope for good things in the, in the future and the economy, that's for sure. And hope that we do uh, have a good crop. That's always helpful to us as well. Agriculture And rain rain will help. Yes, the rain (laughs) will help. Ag, though, has been consistently one of our only net surpluses that we have had uh, for the United States. So I'm always uh, a big proponent of supporting agriculture because it supports the U.S. in more ways than just food, fiber, and fuel. Absolutely. All right, let's switch gears because it's Memorial Day weekend, and you've got a big day planned on Sunday, May 28th. Tell us about this big gathering. Well, the the small cemetery uh, out at Cameron has been a well a labor of love for the families uh, whose ancestors are there and who still love that cemetery, make sure it's maintained, and and so forth. And and Gene Robeson, who's local, is one of the big proponents. Uh, one of the people who has done a lot to organize this ceremony uh, every year. In fact, she twisted my arm two years ago to get committed to speak at it this year. And Jean Youngquist, whose uh, wife Nancy is my cousin, uh, Jean's the president of that uh, cemetery board. And that's a place where that community makes sure Memorial Day is not just a holiday, but is a an event worthy of attention by the community. And I'm honored that I've been asked to speak. I'm excited for you. This is going to be very nice. Um, again, you, you already mentioned Gene Robeson. And uh, we also have the Honor Guard and Firing Squad with our Monmouth Legion Post 136 at 1215, right? Right. I just saw that scheduled. Uh, they're going to be busy. They're going every yes. 20 minutes from one cemetery to another, but but they do that every year, so they're used to yes, it. Yes, and we will have all of that information on the air for you for Memorial Day weekend. We've been collecting all of that info, and uh, coming up Friday, we actually have uh, the American Legion will be on the air, so we'll give you more information about it. Uh, w- tell me about the history of the Silent Home Cemetery. Well, you know, not being a Cameron native, I, I don't know that I n- know a lot of that history. But it, but I went out with Gene the other day to, you know, to just get a lay of the land. And uh, like many places, there are, are graves that go back through nearly every, uh, probably since the, the time that Cameron was, was founded. And it's, you know, it's, it's managed by uh, uh, an association that's been mm-hmm. in place for for many many years, and if if uh, if you go out there, it's well cared for, it's clearly loved. It's one of those places you probably wouldn't just accidentally find unless you knew where it was. Uh, but there are a lot of cemeteries that are that way. Yes. But this is one that is being uh, kept very well and honored every year. And a nice uh, name there, Silent Home Cemetery. Right. Has a ring to it, doesn't it? It does. You have a great Memorial Day service uh, as you speak at this engagement. And uh, is it open to anybody to come out? 
I'm sure it's open to to anybody. Okay. It's at noon is the gathering on Sunday, May 28th. Gather at the cemetery, the rain location. We don't have to worry about that uh, because right now it's supposed to be sunny and and, uh, in the 80s. Honor Guard and Firing Squad at 1215. And we also have the speaker as Kenneth McMillan and veteran roll call will be Gene Robeson. Right. Okay. Well, thanks for coming in this morning, Ken. Good to be here. You enjoy a few days celebrating as well. Okay. That is Ken McMillan with us. He was with the Monmouth College faculty 1989, teaching economics and business until his retirement in 2019. It